You're listening to The Quad, a Killjoys podcast. My name is Annie. And I'm Chris. And I'm Stephanie. We are talking about the second episode of season two of Killjoys, Wild Wild Westerly. While we will talk about anything and everything from that episode, there will not be spoilers for future episodes. So let's get started with our quick reviews. I thought this was another solid episode. I really love how the sporting characters of Alvis, Potter, and Pre are just given more screen time this year. They're getting more backstories. And I just how the Killjoys team, they're willing to just give up everything for them. That's why they're doing this mission to get inside the wall. They're just trying to get their friends. It's not about necessarily always the warrant. So, yeah, just the relationship in particular between Alvis and... Dutch, I really love seeing this episode. And, you know, they're like their own dysfunctional family. So, not sure about Turin and his kind of shaky alliance with the Killjoys. I don't know if he can be trusted. So, we'll see what happens with that. Angelco is my new, definitely least favorite a-hole on the show. Do not like him. I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to like him, Annie. I know, but... Because he's, he's the new villain. I know. I really, really, really don't like him. Just had to make that clear. What did you think, Chris? I like the episode a lot. There's lots of stuff going on, as always. And I thought it was a natural progression from the premiere. Because, you know, that episode had us catching up with our main group of characters. And then this episode, we're sort of catching up with the supporting characters. Or at least the supporting characters we didn't catch up with in the premiere, obviously. And as we just mentioned, we get the new villain in Jelko, and yeah, he's awful, and like in that love-to-hate-him kind of way, because he's just such a jerk. (laughs) His name kind of sounds like a product that might have been made like back in the 50s. It was like a really gross food product that was made of all this artificial (laughs) crap. No, no, it's it's the company that produced that. Oh, okay, It's the new gel from Jelko! Gross. (laughs) <laughs> you served it with like tomato aspic and so, stuff like that. Anyway, again, sort of as, as a follow up to the premiere episode, you know, I like how seamlessly Dutch and the Jacoby brothers work together. It's something I enjoy seeing. They spent all that time in the first season sort of setting up that dynamic. And it's not even really commented on or anything in this episode. It just kind of is. And I just, I don't know. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And Beyond that, I like that we see how much all of the people in their circle mean to them, you know. I just have have warm, fuzzy feelings about people caring about each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was not as hip on this episode as y'all were, I think. I was happy to see familiar faces and to be reunited with Hunky Monk and Potter and I love seeing how much they all care about one another. I, I did have a couple issues with this episode. The pacing was a little frenetic for me. It kind of felt like there was a little too much plot crammed in this episode for me personally. And the other thing, I, I was pretty disappointed in the Timon storyline because it feels like they fridged a person of color character. I mean, granted, he was just introduced in this in this one episode, so he, you know, he wasn't a long-standing character, but still, they they fridged a person of color to further the storyline of presumably a white character. I, I don't know how Morgan Kelly identifies racially, but presumably, Alvis is a white character. So I'm not too wasn't too hip on that, but I was really excited by the conclusion of the episode and like the possibilities that this the storyline kind of created for our characters. So I, it wasn't that I disliked the episode; I just had a couple issues with it. 
but we can get more into dis- discussing the particulars of this episode in a bit. But first, we wanted to read some feedback that we got from listeners about episode 201 from the premiere. We got a lot of great feedback from folks. Thank you so much for sending this in. Uh, Annie, you want to read what Fred had to say? Yeah, Fred said he noticed when Stasis Klein was being taken to a transport ship by the Black Root, someone said, long trip, better hold him the whole way, take him to the lady. So Fred thinks that this comment about a long trip means that we will go outside of the quad this season, which he is very curious about. And me too. Uh, Sorry, this is Annie interjecting. (laughs) No, I agree with that because I think that um, when you guys were saying, yes, uh, last week that well, they, the Killjoys knew that Davin was somewhere in the quad. I'm like, the quad? Well, what about the whole J? What about outside the J? So, anyway. Because Fred is a man after Stephanie's heart, he wonders if the lady might be Delsea Kendry. But he points out that Delsea had been in the quad and therefore would not require a long trip to get to her. Yeah, but Fred, we all want Delsea and Dutch. What is it? Knocking round bits or whatever the heck I bought <laughs> Rounding up. It Rounding it out. Rounding it out. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just had to bring up something about round. You just made it more dirty, and I did. I did. Anyway, back to Fred's. Back to Fred's comments. I'm very sorry, Fred. Sorry, Fred. Fred also suggests that the lady might not be a person. Maybe it's such a ship they are taking Klein to. He also wonders what the hierarchy is regarding the Nine and the organization that seems to be above level six. Lots of questions about that organization. Get it together, Chris. <laughs> uh, sorry. Kind of. And we, we got some more hints about that in this episode. But first, let's hear some theories that Steph sent in about the green goo. Steph, not Stephanie. She wants to make that very clear. <laughs> not me. Somebody else. Steph has some theories about the green goo. She says, at the end of Escape Velocity, when the camera pans out over Arkin, the surface of the moon glows green. It looks very similar to the green goo being used to get everyone all sixed up. Sixed up, Annie. Sixed up, not sexed up. Yeah, I know. I was all, wait a minute. It also looks like the fluid in the bowl pewters that Klein uses in this episode and that Johnny tried to steal back an enemy Klein. This all makes me wonder if, in the failed terraforming of Arkin, the company created the green goo. Or maybe the green goo was sentient life on Arkin, which was impacted by the terraforming process and now allows the Black Root to control the level sixes through some collective consciousness. Also, if the shared memory that Davin experienced was in the past, it could indicate that the Scarbacks realized that the moon was actually viable and attempted to plant trees mm. before they were rounded up and removed by the rack. Very interesting. interesting. Well, I did have some similar theories about the green goo. I noticed the green goo at the end of Escape Velocity 2, and then also when they escaped from Arkin, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's a lot of green goo on Arkin's surface. So yeah. Well, and just the fact that Klein was so adamant about getting it back yeah. when, you know, what Johnny had stolen. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. care about the files, he cared about the goo. Yeah, and was willing to kill for it, so, yeah. I like the idea that the green stuff that we've seen in the computers could be similar to the green goo. Maybe the stuff used in computers is a more concentrated form Mm. than the green goo that they're using for the indoctrination process for level six. But I I do like that idea that perhaps they're connected. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they confirmed that it's the same stuff Mm -hmm. in the premiere of the season. Okay. I missed that confirmation, but okay, that's that's interesting. Well, because Klein went to the computer to use... The thing, because he was, I think, erasing files or something. Right. Wasn't that what he was doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Davin comments, you know, that's some multi-purpose or multi-function yeah, yeah, that's right. stuff there. 
He says oh, something about okay. it, yeah. and Klein basically acknowledges his comment. He said, yeah, so. you have no idea. Oh, okay. Hmm. I missed that part. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't I didn't think about the fact that the Scarbacks could be planting trees. You know, praise the trees and all that. That's interesting. That's an interesting theory about trying to uh, terraform the moon by the Scarbacks or uh, inhabit the moon. And finally, we got an email from Victor who said, As much as I liked the Killjoys season premiere, I was disappointed that Fancy Lee had gone over to the level six dark side. I'd hoped he would be a frenemy or rival who would work with Dutch off and on. But at least it turned out that he's on Klein's side. Whichever side that is. Of course, Fancy, since Fancy is a self-described a-hole, you can never be sure about him. I actually wonder if this is maybe set up for a storyline where they try to reverse the level six effects. Mm. That's what I'm thinking, because I was um, tweeting Sean, who plays Fancy, and um, I'm like, wait, that can't be the end of Fancy. He's like, Annie, there are nine more episodes left. I'm all, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Did he actually say that, Annie, comma? <laughs> yeah, so, or something to that effect, and then I felt really silly, but no, he was being, he was just having fun with me. But I was like, wait! So, you know, obviously I think we'll get more fancy. But yeah, I figure they gotta get them back on their side somehow, or... I agree with Victor's sentiment here, though, because I did really like the uneasy relationship between Dutch and the team and Fancy and how they couldn't entirely trust him, but they could cooperate with him sometimes. And I I will be sad if that's no longer the dynamic between the two of them. But I think you're right, Chris, that this could be a setup for an unsixing process for later in the season. So maybe we will get our Fancy back. It's quite possible. They are planning to go back to Arkin. Well... I don't know if they are now, but that was in their plan of attack. Yeah, leading into the discussion of this episode, Fancy Lee's sort of previous position as the the uneasy alliance has sort of been, that role has been filled by Turin in this episode, which I thought was interesting. Yes, when he came strolling in, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I had pretty much the same reaction they did, except I couldn't jump on top of him with weapons. Yeah, right. It's like not that you do that anyway. Yeah, I mean you might. No, no, no. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, you kind of got never stabbed you that through much. the back and out through the front. How did you survive if you're not a six? And I think that's a really good question. Like, what is it that happened between him and Klein? Mm-hmm. Because Klein was dragging him off last time we saw him. Yeah, yeah. And, and what happened? Implying yeah. he was going to do things to him, but. If you're not a six, you look pretty good for having been stabbed all the way through, and it's been only like 10 days. I know, right? Well, I was trying to figure out what the timeline was, because I was going to make a joke about apparently Turin's been taking hair care tips from Delphine Cormier, because his hair got so luscious and long in a seemingly (laughs) short amount of time. But then I couldn't remember what the time frame was between episode nine and episode 10 from last season, so... Because first I was like, it's only been a few days, but I, I honestly, it could have been longer. I can't remember. I don't think it was that long. Mm. Okay. He is still healing, so I don't think it's been however many months it would have taken for his hair to grow about four <laughs> inches. <laughs> Maybe that's what Klein did to him. <laughs> it's makeover Give time. Give him some conditioner and blow dry and yeah. Makeover, 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 makeover. Is that just a maybe, song you maybe made Maybe it up? is, because like, maybe whatever accelerates the healing process accelerates also... Accelerates the hair. The luscious hair porn. But I liked how 
crusty he was with them at the beginning of the episode where, you know, they wanted something more formal to commemorate the fact that their team was getting back together. And he's just like, uh, hand to heart. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was kind Fist of a heart, minor yeah. question I had going. Fist well, Davin's been only gone for five to ten days and he's been kicked off the team already, like officially. So I think they did that last season, right, Chris? Did they? I don't remember. They kicked him off the team. That That's how they got into the rack in episode nine of season mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So it's been oh, since then. Right. But that's I don't right. think there was yeah. that long between episode nine and ten. And then it's been ten days since episode ten of season one. Okay. So it's like maybe been two weeks. <laughs> they made up quickly, apparently. Which I was happy to see them reunited and to see how they could come back together and and form a unit and work together again. But at the same time, I'm hoping that they're not just going to move on easily from the incident between Dutch and Davin last season. I, I, I trust them enough that they won't, but I am a little worried. I don't want them to just paper over what happened. Well, no, I think at the very beginning, when you see that weird effect with, you know, Dutch seeing herself in the mirror, and then the image moves, and or she moves, and the image doesn't, and you can see she's a little freaked out. And then Davin's asking her if she's okay, and she goes, I'm fine. And, you know, there's a little UST there, I think. She's like, it's good to be back on the team. And he goes, yep, the teamiest. And, uh, well, you know. I think definitely they are pointing out the unrequited affection that Davin seems to have for Dutch now. Well, yeah. it might. It, it's not so much that necessarily Dutch doesn't care for him, but that she's not willing to go back to where they were because of what happened. Well, exactly. So that's yeah. definitely there. But yeah, you can see. I, I don't know. Of it. I, I, yeah, but I, I just I hope that we do come back to that. Maybe or it doesn't just go away. I don't know. I just I'm a little worried about it, but I'm trying not to be. Mm-hmm. I trust them enough, given the way season one played out, that it's not going to get glossed over. Yeah. Because it didn't get glossed over last season. Right. So I think we were all a little worried that it was going to be, you know, oh, I forgive you, everything's fine. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then we were worried, like, is this just going to be this lingering tension? And it has in a sense, but also they're not letting it stop them from working together. Yeah. Being, you know, a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. everything. So... Because the big thing that happened last season was that Dutch realized she doesn't trust him, right? Mm-hmm. And that's partially why she asked him to leave and they stopped working together as killjoys. So I, I guess I can get on board with the idea that after Davin disappeared and she was so worried about him that that would maybe help heal some of the trust issues a little bit. Like realizing how much he meant to her, mm-hmm. you know, that would maybe help speed that up, I guess. And what I liked, though, in season one, she did realize that she didn't trust him. But then, like, the episodes after that were about realizing that she doesn't distrust him either. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're in that weird in-between kind of kind of thing. And I like that. But again, mm-hmm. that's what I think that first scene of this episode is hinting at, is that... Oh, it like, is. I mean, they... You're a teammate. It's, it's very clearly a matter of, you know, what Stephanie was just saying, that yeah. Davin is clearly still in this certain mindset of of having feelings for Dutch and Dutch kind of not acknowledging it a little bit. Well, <laughs> yeah, Dutch is saying, you know, you're like a teammate. I respect you. I really care about you, but things are not the same by just saying. He's like, yeah, good yeah. to have you back, buddy. And yeah, sort of exactly. gives him just patting him on the shoulder. Yeah. 
But getting back to Turin a little bit, I am curious about their alliance with him and him being a I guess, a cohort, I guess, I don't know, in, in trying to investigate what's really going on in regards to who's controlling the rack. I think that could be a very interesting storyline for the season. And he also gave us some information about what happens subsequent to, well, if we can believe him. Sometimes I'm like, I, we didn't actually see this happen, so I don't know. Maybe yeah. he can't be trusted. Because he says that, you know, Klein and the lot destroyed the Red 17 base on Ar- on Arkin, and they've gone off somewhere else. So possibly maybe they're taking taking that long trip somewhere that they were going to send Klein on. I don't mm. know. But there is a suggestion that, like like Fred was saying, that maybe we might see another part of the J star the J star system in this uh, in this season. Yeah, and I don't know. Given how complex the storyline is with Klein, with him being, you know, he's it's not a black and white thing where he's an enemy. He's trying to protect Dutch, but he's doing it through really awful means. I'm not, but given how Klein is written, I'm not inclined to completely trust Turin and his motives. So. You're not inclined. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I heard it too, but I was going (laughs) to let it go. (laughs) I don't get it. Uh, Never mind. (laughs) You said, given how Klein... Oh, I get it, I get it. Okay, Okay, now. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, given how last episode ended with the Black Root, whatever their deal is, (laughs) given how they swooped in, it did seem like maybe something was going to happen to the Red 17 base. Also, I liked that we got confirmation that Red 17 is, like, the name of the base. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting what Turin says, that he says Klein and his lot destroyed the Red 17 base, but how many people does Klein have loyal to him or working with him? And how many people does this Black Root have? But didn't Black Root just ship Klein off now? So... Klein doesn't really seem to be in a position of power anymore. It's like, what exactly happened after the Killjoys escaped and Klein got shipped off? Yeah, I had that question, too, because I think it was implied that Fancy went around the Black Route to help Klein. But since Klein was going to be probably disciplined in some way, what exactly, how exactly did they then you know, destroy the Red 17 base and go yeah. off someplace. Is it Klein? Is he now like a rogue agent essentially? Or what exactly happened? I think there's definitely stuff we're still missing in regards to what happened to Klein after what we saw last episode. So the way the episode starts off, we find out that they're going back to Old Town, which is sort of, you know, how the last episode left off. But we're going to return pre to the Royal and find Potter and Avis. I was surprised that Pre pronounces it the Royal. I figured it'd be the Royale. Yeah. Isn't that how it's pronounced by other characters? Or, it, or do we just pronounce it that way as fans? Have we, have we been getting you it wrong? You pronounce this whole time? it that way, Annie. In the show, they've always pronounced it the Royal. Okay. It's spelled I'm like it wrong, would be then. the Royale, okay. but in the show, they've always said the Royal. Oh, God. Why can't they just. Well, Michelle Avretta, she goes, Yeah, I'm an a hole for spelling because. You know, some people who review the show on a regular basis, they're like, how do you spell Klein again? Is it Westerlins? Westerly? You know, so she was like, yeah, I'm an a-hole for spelling. I saw that tweet. It was specifically about Westerly versus yeah. Westerlins. Westerlins. 
because Westerly has an extra E in it that you take out when you're okay, talking about Westerly. Okay, well, they go back to the royal, now that I'll say it right. And uh, I love the comment about, yep, they have crappy taste in music. And I'm like, yep, you're right. I didn't think it was that bad, but hang on, hang on. Okay. <laughs> so when we go back to Old Town, they, there's that first, that confrontation with that big wall that they've put around <laughs> the Which area. is such a great effect. I love that. Yeah, the, it, the effects are beautiful. It was an amazing effect, and and Johnny also seemed to appreciate it too. <laughs> I just I loved how much Johnny loved the wall. Forgive me, I'm aroused. <laughs> so like Johnny's kind of a technosexual or something, right? Apparently, because he's into because <laughs> he he's into uh, uh, Clara, who is is big into the tech. So yeah, he might be. And you know, Lucy is his favorite. So yeah. But the- <laughs> He's talking about sweet talking Lucy this episode. Uh, I know, yeah, last, see what last episode it was actually Clara said Alice has a sudden crush on you, and mm-hmm. he's like, "I have a sudden crush on Alice." Yeah, <laughs> not Clara, Alice. <laughs> and the wall was also helpful because it provided more backstory about Pre. Whenever Pre interacts with computers, we seem to get more backstory on him, and we figured out <laughs> we saw how to spell his name, which I. Wouldn't have guessed at all from what we heard last time. How was it spelled? Well, see, here's the thing. I was guessing that it was like this, but then I had closed captioning on last episode just to see. And last episode, it had pre-Medez was how it was written out in closed captioning for the Mm -hmm. first episode. But but no, it's Prima-Dez. Huh. And I got to see that amazing picture with the hair that I kind of missed in in the premiere but we got to see it again and it was amazing i need to pause that and look at it again okay there's a screen cap from the first episode on our tumblr page if you go look at our tumblr page which nobody does but me apparently (laughs) (laughs) so we got to know how his name is spelled and the fact that apparently he used to be a warlord (laughs) johnny's or what was it? I think it was David. It was like, yeah, on yeah. planet, were you a warlord? <laughs> Sexy warlord, I bet. <laughs> but I like the line, mad. Wallace mad. <laughs> then they all get knocked out. But as I hear, you hear, oh, sh-. <laughs> from Johnny. <laughs> so funny. But we are getting more of a, a darker side to Pre for sure. You know, last episode revealed all this criminal history. Now apparently he was a warlord. He did something apparently kind of violent, worse than stabbing a guy through the hand with a knife in order to get the royal. I mean, and then wow, he laughs just... about it. Like I'm like, ooh, Pre, you have this dark side, but you're so stylish and sexy, and it looks really good on you. <laughs> this I just kinda... I like the idea of a flamingly gay warlord. I'm just exactly. I'm tickled by it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. <sighs> when it's packaged like Pre, I'm like, wow. Just remaining consistently delightful the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved the outfit he was wearing at the end. And whatever oh, yeah. whatever piece he had on his forehead, it was like a fascinator for somebody without hair. I don't mm-hmm. know what exactly to call it, but it was he looked great. It was like it was like dragon scales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not really, but kind of. And it was great to see him be reunited with the bar. Yeah. It was I, I was sad that he left it at the end of last season so it's it's nice to see him be able to go back to it well i was really happy the building survived i was really happy the royal was still there so i thought it got completely leveled 
Yeah, I was actually surprised Old Town looked as good as it did. Don't get me wrong, it looked bad. But I was surprised as many of the structures were still standing. Yeah, yeah. Right. There was that line about how there wasn't much of the upstairs left. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's apparently true. that take, took the worst of it. At least the physical bar is still there and there's still liquor and sexters. So that's what's important. So Sexters? <laughs> that's what they called them. Sexters. Sexers. Oh, sexers. Oh, put in a T. Okay, whatever. Sexting is something else. Eh? <laughs> they just they, they they don't allow prostitution on the planet. It's just texting each other. Really sexy messages. <laughs> texting and beer. <laughs> oh, that tickled me. Uh, but. <laughs> But I There's was nothing say, upstairs, but like communication devices. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so I unintentionally throw a T in there sometimes. So what? You get the idea. But in regards to the destruction, I think there was also a line in this episode. I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Dutch. But she kind of alluded to the fact that maybe the company could come back and do even more. So... Maybe this was more of a warning strike than just a complete ruining of the place, like we saw with Sugar Point. True, but they... I don't know. Pretty much bombed the heck out of it, so I don't know how much more they could destroy. Well, it's not as bad as the Badlands. And, true. you know... True. And, you know, yeah, they could just bomb it and kill everybody. And maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, there was a line that Dutch had in there about, oh, maybe they could come back and do worse. I don't know. But anyway, I was just personally, I was surprised it wasn't more destroyed than it was. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, well, there are still people hanging out in Sugar Point, so, mm-hmm. you know. True. And I guess just a matter of, of time has passed there, I suppose, because there didn't mm-hmm. seem to be as thriving a community there as there is in Old Town. Right. I was also surprised that it, I don't know, I guess I figured it would be a little more of an adventure finding Potter and Alvis and such. They they seem to like come across them really quickly, like, boom, oh, they said to check the tenements. Here's Potter. Potter said Alvis would be here. Here's Alvis. It was, it was kind of surprising to me that they reintroduced those characters so quickly, but I guess I shouldn't. They do tend to move things along at a pretty quick pace on Killjoys. They only have 10 episodes. They're like, we don't yeah. have time to waste with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People can fill in the blanks of them looking around a little. <laughs> it's true. I'm okay with it. But I liked the reintroduction of Potter, like, sawing somebody's leg off. and <laughs> Oh, a mommy. Ooh. Ooh. I gross. <laughs> I love Potter so much. I was so excited to see her again. Though I wish she would stop calling Johnny, Johnny Jacoby. Pretty much every time she talks to her, she calls him Johnny Jacoby. Why? Because she's trying to I reemphasize know. that he's a beautiful idiot. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because she's fancy and from Crash, where True. people are always like, you know, Delsea Kendry. And so mm-hmm. say the whole formal name. Like instead of titles, it's just, I'm going to say your last name too. Because last names are probably important on Crash. I don't know. Mm. Hmm. That's that's true. Which family do you belong to? Yeah. It also struck me when we were introduced to Potter, it took me a second to figure out what was going on with her sweater, because it looked a lot like chain mail. What? It did. It was know, just a, a... What does that have to do with the discussion? Hang on! <laughs> so we're introduced to Potter, and she's wearing this sweater, which to me at least looked a lot like chain mail, like a knight would wear back in the day. 
Uh-huh. And then by the end of the episode, she's, she's, you know, dressed in kind of crushy finery with a beautiful necklace and, and, and things like that. Like a cocktail it, dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a cocktail dress. But, you know, when we're reintroduced to Potter, I think, you know, maybe the sweater is communicating how she has changed just over the past of the couple of days, even though she was working with, you know, the Dan Trotten on Westerly for a while, I think there is a suggestion that she's toughened up quite a bit over right. the last I mean, the while. first time we see her, she's, like, got blood on her face and mm-hmm. saw in her hand and, yeah. Right. So, you know, maybe this idea, and it could just not be anything at all, but I swear, when I first saw it, I was like, is she wearing chain mail? It might not be a bad idea on Westerly. I don't know how things are there. <laughs> True. <laughs> Well, I, I do think I did have a comment on the wardrobe. Yeah, how it's she's always been, I think, dressed down like just one of the Westerlands, regardless of her higher status. And so, yeah, it was interesting to see her like change so much costume wise by the end and how that indicates a higher status. And uh, yeah, I always think that part's fascinating. But they're like, <laughs> get rid of the sweater. <laughs> I, I disagree with your comment about dressed down like the other Westerlands, but but when we do see her, my my first thought was actually like, boy, that sweater looks comfy. It did it's look comfy. comfy and cozy, like comfy chainmail. <laughs> okay, but what color? I, I just saw it and thought, oh, it's a chunky knit. What, yeah, <laughs> what color yarn is that, Chris? <laughs> it was actually it, it was either two two yarns or, or a marled yarn. Ah, okay, it was asphalt gray and white thank you but i don't know i i I just it stuck out to me and uh, clearly they're doing a little bit of character development through wardrobe in this episode i i don't know maybe i'm just silly but i did want to point out the that was the point i was trying to get at yes but i the sweater was not the first thing i noticed so am i ridiculous chris is that (laughs) no it just i just found it funny okay ridiculous in what sense I don't know. Okay, that trying I trying to read into the wardrobe. Anyway, sorry. No, but I don't. I I just didn't see chainmail. I, I exactly just yeah. saw like a sweater, a little grittier, a little more among the people. <laughs> well, Maybe. she definitely is more casually dressed, I guess, at the beginning, right? Than than we've seen her previously, but. I don't know. To me, it was important to see her that way before we saw her all pretty oh, in the cocktail I dress. I completely agree with that. Yeah, because I think it 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 underscored sort of her undercover agent status once she got into what was that place called? Not Shadow Hill, Spring Hill, and was trying to you know pretend use her crushy power in order to and help her friends. Right. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> I agree. We we got sidetracked by chain sweater discourse though. <laughs> it looks like chainmail. I'm not crazy. <laughs> she is a knight, and I stand by that. She's a cute knight. And it was great to see the relationship that she had developed with Hills, whose first name is Hillary, apparently. Yeah, I think they had established that in yeah. the first season also. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd I forgotten was, it. I was pleasantly surprised to see him alive, because I thought he kind of got blown to bits along with the royal at the end of season one, so... That was nice. Right, because the last time we see him, he is in the Royal, and there was a, a big explosion outside of the Royal, and there's, like, the debris that comes through the windows. But, again, this is discussion, I think, from the creators at the end of last season. It's like, well, we didn't really see the Royal get destroyed, so... Oh, okay. 
I was not that surprised that it was still standing and still operating. And the same with Hills. <laughs> and Hills had a pretty nasty cut on his forehead. Yeah. Right. So there's the paralleling there. This is perhaps me reaching between Hills and the Royal. Mm. <laughs> Slightly damaged, but still doing okay. <laughs> Until they go to Spring Hill and that a-hole uh Jelko. 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 <sighs> Provider of fine gels. <laughs> <laughs> Though I I, I kind of wonder, I don't know, it was nice to see Hills again, and he articulated very clearly that what he did last season was important for him, and maybe maybe we needed that. But he also had just such a nice final couple episodes in the finale last season. I wonder if maybe it would have been okay if he if he hadn't come back. I don't know. I'm kind of of, of two minds about it. Well, I think he would have been a nice ally to have if he continued, so I was bummed he got killed. I was like, man, I was just liking his little redemption arc, and then bam. So I was I was mad. I kind of had that moment, too, but then it was like, as soon as it happened, it's like, ah, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there was the redemption story, and the fact that he'd sort of allied himself with, with Potter a little bit, and was aiming to really help which of but course why does it they established happen? the minute they get redeemed they get killed it just annoys me that anyway that trope so and i thought that in hill's death was also meaningful in a way that timon's wasn't in this episode but they kind of did the same thing so that was another aspect about the timon storyline that kind of bothered me with the two different character deaths in this episode how different they were. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, it, That's fair, but at the same time, it's sort of all part of that thing of like, well, Hills actually means something to the audience, which. Yeah. You know. Right. But I think it was just an unfortunate pairing of the two in one episode. Right. No, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm also in that like, eh, but there's this, but there's. Uh. Yeah. It's, I have mixed feelings about the whole thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. But Hills did kind of help Potter. I, I don't know that she really needed Hills, but, you know, he went with Potter to help her get in into the company's good graces, kind of. I don't know. That was all very interesting, the way that Jelko kind of took Potter into Spring Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he thinks he can get the nine on his side, or does she... Does does Jelko really? Does he suspect that Potter's still working with her friends? I don't know. I guess it it falls in line with what we're seeing, perhaps in regards to the Rack storyline as well, because we had this idea in the first season that the Nine were very powerful. They controlled the company. They control, you know, this idea that they they kind of upper occupy the upper echelon of power. But maybe we're seeing both here and in the Rack storyline that there are forces that are more powerful than they are, or at least trying to usurp their power, maybe, in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting seeing the structure of the power play kind of play out this season so far, and that things aren't what they necessarily were in the first season, or that there's just more players in there with, like, the Black Root and Level 6 and the company and the Nine and where is everybody and who's on top. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, and the thing about the Nine and then 
by default also the company is that there's so much infighting that's going on, which we saw in the first season. So that just inherently seems like a really unstable system in the first Mm -hmm. place. Well, and I think we've heard several times the suggestions that things are changing. You know, there was, I I forget who said it to Dutch. I I think it was Tymon who said to Dutch, like, oh, nobody's just anything anymore because she's saying I'm just a killjoy. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that it's a very unstable time and roles are shifting and et cetera. Yeah. I think more and more Dutch and the killjoys are getting glimpses of they can't be neutral anymore. Right. As much as the company wants them to be or they want to be. Well, the company doesn't want them to be. Oh, yeah, right? that's right. I mean, the company yeah. wants them working for them. That's true. Never mind. The rack's biggest... Employer. Employer. Client, yes. I guess. Yeah. Client, yeah. thank you. They said was was the company. Mm-hmm. So Johnny, he had several moments this episode where I was just like, aw, Johnny. But definitely the, the big one was when he slipped Potter, the little calm device behind mm-hmm. her ear. It's like, aw, you didn't leave her alone in there. I, know. I was the like, best. I knew it. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering what he was doing. Like, okay, is he passing something with his mouth? What is he doing? He's not mm-hmm. just kissing her. Something's happening. flashes of that, too. It's like, nah, he's, he's pulling he a Kenzie. He's pulling a Kenzie, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he was basically doing the same thing that he did in episode three of the first season. With the harvest? Yeah, with the... Because, mm. you know, he he leaned in to kiss... What's her name? The woman who played Persephone. And then, like, use that as an excuse to check to see that her ear had been cut off. <laughs> yep. Mm. So it's sort of, it, that's like Johnny's move. <laughs> it's a signature Johnny Jacoby move. To kiss pretty ladies. Smooth, Johnny, smooth. <laughs> the other moment that I really loved Johnny a whole lot was when they were trying to save Al- uh, Alvis. I can't, ju- can I just call him Hunky Monk? It's hard for me just to call, call him Alvis. Hunky Monk. Okay. I, I call him <laughs> Hunky Monk. When I saw him, I was like, Hunky Monk, Stephanie will be so happy. <laughs> so when they were trying to save Hunky Monk and Davin had the little respirator that he'd taken from Carl. Oh, Carl. I liked Carl. And, <laughs> you know, he goes running in to help to help Hunky Monk. And Dutch wants to go running in after him. But Johnny's like, no, you are staying here. Like, thank you, Johnny. You mm-hmm. care. <laughs> yeah. What I really liked about that scene was how emotional Dutch was about mm-hmm. Hunky Monk sucking in the gas. And, and, you know, both of us, as we go to commercial break, no! So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, but I, that was great acting from Hannah John Common. I think my actual reaction when it looked like Alvis might die, was, was no, there's so much backstory still. <laughs> and chest story, and ab story, and shoulder story. Oh, God. You're like, no, you can't take Hunky Bunk away from Stephanie. <laughs> well, what was funny to me is I was, when we saw the, the promotional photo that of the cast or main characters before the season, my big reaction was, What? Hunky Monk is wearing a shirt. <laughs> and speaking of character development via via wardrobe, he was wearing a shirt at the beginning of this episode, but he was back to being bare-chested by the end. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the things that are really important to Stephanie. Take off the wardrobe. Take it off. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting, though. I mean, did you kind of see, maybe I saw Lith with that conversation between Hunky Monk and Dutch at the end. I don't know. I saw a little bit of hints of something more than friends. I don't know. She just got really emotional over him. Yes. They've been hinting at that for quite a while now. Since okay. their first interaction, I think. 
I know. I think it's, just, it's been a while up. since a rewatch, so, but I was like, oh. Wonder the thing with Davin was their second interaction, but yes. Okay. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, Bet Stephanie likes this. I like it. I am interested in where that could go. I'm not particularly thrilled with Davin being jealous off in the corner, mm-hmm. but okay. I think that's going to happen regardless whether she has Elvis as a potential love interest or not. So, you know, it is what it is. But I, I was excited by the potential hunky monk Dutch mm-hmm. UST or RST. <laughs> What's RST? It seems like it might be yeah, resolved sexual RST. tension. Because, oh. <laughs> I mean, there's that, that exchange that she has. I think it's with Hills in the first season where she's like, you know, our history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll have to let me see him when he's in West Hole. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the whole thing. And yeah, I mean, with, with Davin, part of me is kind of like, ah, come on. But at the same time, he's been doing that since the first time he saw Alvis. So mm-hmm. it's true. And at least he still was motivated and like the person who went to go help Al- uh, Hunky Monk. So right. it wasn't mm-hmm. like he lets the fact that he's a little jealous of Dutch seeming to have affection for him get in the way of being he's a good person. He's not going to let him die. Yeah. Yeah. Which is part of my whole, like, oh, they're a team and he still cares. Yeah, but also, exactly. thinking about it now, though, like, there's actually that exchange between Davin and Johnny in the first season where Johnny tells the story about how there was that kid that they hated who was mean to them, but he, like, fell into the ice mm-hmm. and Davin yeah, just yeah. dove in after him just because, like, right. that's who Davin is. So, mm-hmm. either way, I'll take it. <laughs> well, and I, and I liked as a follow up on the interesting conversation that Davin and, and, Hunky Monk had in the first season in in the bar, where he calls him like you're a weird little dude. He he as he is saving Elvis, he calls him something like you know he says something like don't die you little weirdo or something. Yeah, freak. I believe that's what it is. There you go, little freak. Because I think he does he does call him freaky at some point in season one. I think and so, but it's like he says it affectionately. So I'm kind of like oh, I know (laughs) because he cares. I thought that was Johnny who said that. Don't you know? Come on, you little freak. But I wasn't sure if it was Johnny or. Davin it was Davin. It. Oh, okay. But what do you think about Hunky Monk's this dark side that's been revealed? I didn't think he got that dark. They, yeah. The script really wanted me to think, oh, he's gotten darker. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, whatever, I don't he's just gotten hunkier. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not so much that he's darker. I it, He feels a little bit more embittered than the first yeah. season, perhaps. Well, he Uncertain. says he's lost. Well, so. And, I, and I took umbrage a bit of what Tymon was saying to him about, oh, you're just praying for things to change, because he's not just doing that. And there's nothing wrong with having faith and having, you know, having a religion and that being your primary source of dealing with oppression. There's, that's fine. But we've seen Alvis working against the company in ways that are more quiet and more devious mm-hmm. than, than necessarily being violent. So that was the big switch, was his willingness to employ some form of violence against the company in this episode. But what made him get to that point? That's my question. Where he felt he had Being to do bombed? That. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? Oh, I, did you not hear me loudly nodding my head? Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that a nod was such a loud gesture, but okay. It was the way I was doing it, yes. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so I, I can definitely see where his faith has been tested, especially since he was really blamed for the bombing of 
Old Town. I can see where that took a toll on him. But at the same time, I feel like he was still being him, you know, willing to offer himself as bait so that he could steal supplies for Potter. Mm -hmm. You know, Hunky Monk was still being sacrificial Scarback guy. Yeah. Right. I mean, granted, he was beating that guy up, but, you know, Hunky Monk has never (laughs) been your typical pacifist type. (laughs) No. Right. I guess... Because cause I'm the one who wrote Darker in the notes, and that is why. Because, like, he's he's beating up a dude, <laughs> like, yeah. the first time we see him. Well, and, and Potter says it, like, oh, he's in a darker place right now. And then later in the episode, you know, right. he says to Dutch, I was in a darker place. Like, okay, I get it, script. He was in a darker place. <laughs> <laughs> they meant literally because the power had oh, gone out, because the place was that's bombed. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the show being a bit more colorful again. I understand why it hasn't been these two episodes, because they've been in places that have traditionally been more darkly lit, but mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to a bit more color. Let's go to Leith next episode. Yeah, I was going to say, go to Leith. <laughs> Leith is colorful. Or crash, crash again. Oh, I loved that line that they had when they woke up hanging from the ceiling in Spring Hill, because Johnny says, did we die and go to Leith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to say, that was one thing I really liked. When Dutch cut herself down, and I'm like, mm-hmm. as she says, that is why she is the best. Like, yes. So. Yes, she did. Of course mm-hmm. she did that. Davin, you're so cute. Swinging your legs, thinking you're going <laughs> to tear him down that way. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch doesn't need anybody's help. <laughs> nope. Davin might have been successful eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she did that, and I was just like, oh, Dutch, I love you. She also got a, a decent fight scene in this in this episode, too. I with, love that fight scene. Yeah, I love her fight with, scenes. They get me all hot and bothered. <laughs> Garrett. And when he took off his, his jacket, I was watching the episode with my partner, Susan, and, and she said, oh, uh-oh. I was like, no, no, no. You'd still butt on Dutch. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dutch is going to be her fine. Reaction, her reaction to that guy's arms is, like, the greatest thing. <laughs> I know. That was funny. <laughs> But then I love how the sporting characters, they're just, they all beat up on Garrett. And I was like, yep, they don't need no help. So <laughs> I especially love the way that Potter did it, because she's being all like, doctor, do not harm at first. And then it's like, oh, this guy's being a jerk. I'm gonna, now you need surgery. <laughs> and then Pre, I did a lot more than that. And then he does that fabulous gesture. He's all happy hour goes all night and raises his arms up. And just the way that Tom, like, physically inhabits Pre. I just, I love him. So. Tom is so pretty. Yeah. He's so pretty. He's so fabulous. I love him. Another moment that I really liked was at the beginning when they were sitting in the rack waiting for, eventually it was Turin who walked in, and Johnny's, like, bouncing his knees really fast, <laughs> and both Dutch and Tom put their hands on them to stop it. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely a moment. It's like, oh, they're back together as a team. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Heart. Because <laughs> it is, it's such a sort of familial kind of, mm-hmm. kind of interaction there. And also reinforces this notion of, of how they've paralleled Dutch and Davin. Mm-hmm. So I think a couple of big questions that came out of this episode... Hunky Monk says that Scarbacks haven't been on Arkin for 200 years. What? And, like, why were they there? And, like we asked last week, how old is that memory, then? Right? Because that's the implication, that that memory had to be 200 years old. That's the implication. I'm not saying that's true. So, what the heck? How old is Dutch? (laughs) 
I'm going to repitch my idea. Clones? Well, yeah, because definitely we had that moment where her reflection went all Peter Pan on her and it stayed put when she moved. Mm -hmm. So what is that's definitely, I think, supposed to be a hint to us like, hey, maybe that memory is not exactly what we think it is, which I think we suspected all along that maybe it's not actually Dutch. But yeah, that that just ten, continues to be a very intriguing plot point. They they gave us no more clarity in this episode than they did last episode. Yeah, thanks, show. <laughs> thanks for nothing. And now I'm trying to think, like, have we seen Dutch be injured? Well, she has scars, though. Hmm. So, I like, did like they level have. six or a long time ago? And she's just... But it doesn't seem like that's the case. Hmm. No. I feel like we've seen her get injured. But maybe I'm just misremembering. It feels well, like yeah, she gets- when she got shot. I say, didn't she get shot mm-hmm. in the first season? Right. Yeah. Yeah, she did. So yeah, I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Again, just like pitching ideas here. Mm-hmm. Because uh-huh. we've got eight episodes left. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode of Killjoys. You can email them to killjoys at askgenretv.com. We really love getting voice messages, which you can send us in a couple of ways. Record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. Or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Follow us on Twitter or Tumblr as Killjoys Podcast. We often live tweet during both the East and West Coast airings of Killjoys in the U.S. and Canada. So join us on Twitter for that. The Quad is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Orphan Black and Lost Girl and other shows, visit our website at askgenretv.com. Thank you for listening. See you in the Quad. Everybody gets free airborne with a level six makeover.